The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 5x5 Podcast Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Pels fans? Welcome to The Bird Calls. I'm your host and contributor to TheBirdRights.com, Preston Ellis. And today we're talking backcourt depth, summer workouts, Kevin Berrios' articles on AD's teammate rankings over the course of his career, and so much more. Plus, we've got your questions. To help us do it, first of all, we're joined by editor and chief to TheBirdRights.com and the kitchen commander himself, Mr. Ali Cosell. How long have you been working on that kitchen now? We are going on two months God and, and it is driving me insane. <laughs> the, first, the first, the first, uh, the first, the uh... first. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Uh, let me see. What am I going to say here? Oh, yeah, all the primer got done yesterday, so now we're doing the paint. Once we do that, we can finally peel off all these dust covers and actually look like a real kitchen. And half of the room, you know, you've seen the house, Preston. It's that whole first room you walk in, the living room, dining room, uh, kitchen, that big great room. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, man. <laughs> So it's all shut down and you're quarantined to the back. I feel for you, man. That sounds absolutely dreadful. Uh, We also have from Crescent City Sports, on a lighter note, a proud papa and recent birthday. Wait, actually, you guys, you, Kevin, Ollie, David, all of you have birthdays within about a week of each other. Have we talked about that? No, we hadn't because Kevin and I have the same birthday. It's two weeks, Preston. Yeah, Yeah, because Kevin and I have the same birthday, August 11th. Yeah, and I'm the 24th. we're better than Ollie. Yeah, (laughs) Ollie's... At the end are, of the cycle. What are the odds? I'm pulling this up right now. Okay, it says, uh, Leo, the horoscope, it says that you guys are warm, action-oriented, and driven by the desire to be loved and admired. The Leo have an air of royalty about them. They love to be in the limelight, which is why many of them find a career in the performing arts. The personality of a Leo is made up of some positive as well as negative traits. Would you guys say that that describes you accurately? <laughs> well, well, I mean, who is it made of? <laughs> You're a Virgo? Am I in the wrong month? I'm uh, a Virgo by a few yeah, days. He's on the opposite side. He misses yeah. it. So Kevin oh, and I are in the good range. 
This but is what's funny is every member of my family, of my immediate family, my mother, my father, my brother, and my sister are all Virgos, and I'm the only Leo. So it's very, that's just it's a funny thing that that worked out that way. The Bird hey, Calls podcast, yes. I was going to say we can go on a limb and say I don't think Kevin enjoys the limelight. So no, I would think that does not <laughs> apply to him. Nice point. The Bird Calls podcast, where we chart the stars. Of course, you guys can follow them at DM Grub. That's David, in case we didn't introduce him. At Ali Cosell, and of course, find all of our work at thebirdrights.com and Crescent City Sport. Let's go ahead and start with free agency because let's be honest, it's always popular. Ali, Pelicans fans continue season after season to search for reliable help at the small forward position, and outside of Quincy Pondexter, they never seem to have gotten it. And yet, many of the rumors this summer outside of James Ennis have dealt with backcourt players. In addition to the rumors speculated around Tyreek Evans, Rodney Hood, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Schroeder, Schroeder, and Mario Chalmers, <laughs> the Pelicans are now said to be interested in Alexi Schved. First of all, talk about Alexi Schved. He only played in the NBA from 2012 to 14, and then he was traded three times in the 14-15 season. Uh, I think he was traded to the Sixers, to the Rockets, back to the Wolves before he ultimately signed a three-year $10 million deal to go back to Russia. Why do you think the Pelicans would be interested in the six-foot-six, might I add, Alexei Shved? Well, fortunately, I got to see him play a little bit when he was both with Minnesota and the New York Knicks. And what, what the interest in him, of course, I think is the versatility. His first time around in league, Preston, I feel like he was a little bit overmatched. And you could tell by his numbers, he was really inefficient to where he struggled to put the ball in through the hoop at a decent clip. Um, he didn't have the strength really to match up with a lot of players. And, you know, he, he just didn't really fit. And he played on a couple of bad teams as well. So he really didn't have any favors in his first go around. And of course, you know, being a native Russian, he's now playing for a team in Russia that I believe is really close to his home. So he, he's having the best of both worlds. He, he's enjoying himself over there. So he's not too eager to come to the NBA. That's why he turned down these four contracts. But I think he has advanced as a player. So the reason the Pelicans are looking at him is, of course, you mentioned the size. So that's the number one thing. He's got some experience, number two. So he, he just seems to fit what the Pelicans are trying to do. And that is have a versatile lineup that can basically score, attack, and defend. And uh, Alexei Shved seems to check off a lot of those boxes. Now, of course, I haven't seen him play in the last three years. And it would be hard to gauge it anyways, considering the competition. But it's understandable because when you look at who's available, Preston, it's just a bunch of free agents that are over 30. And you've mentioned a lot, but there's Aaron Brooks, who's like 33. Chalmers, he's in his 30s. Jarrett Jack's out there. Ty Lawson, who I think is my favorite of the bunch. And, of course, Jameer Nelson. So I don't think there's a rush to get any of these guys because, as I just mentioned, there's a big list of these guys. So the Pelicans are looking to see if they can maybe squeeze out something a little bit better, just like other teams. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in Jared. But obviously he's not coming over. So you know what? It's kind of a dead topic. So we should move on. All right. He was asking for about $4 million, which obviously is outside of the spectrum the Pelicans can offer him. Although he he does, Ali does say he wants to move on. Let's let's continue in that vein, David. Uh, obviously, he mentioned that a lot of the players the Pelicans are tied to are older. They brought in Jaleel Okafer, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, who are 22, 23, 24 years of age. But uh, as far as going into the backcourt with players like Tyreek Evans, Rodney Hood, Isaiah Thomas, and Mario Chalmers, as well as Fed, the Pelicans are looking for that older veteran type to kind of manage the backcourt, uh, I guess, behind Alfred Payton and in kind of like a backup quarterback type role, how you have Matt Schaub behind Alex Ryan and maybe like a Josh McCown behind a, a Sam Arnold in the NBA. David, talk about why the Pelicans are looking for veteran leadership uh, to bolster the backcourt. Well, 
you know, with those other guys with Evans and, and Isaiah Thomas, I think those were probably more um, public pushes by agents to try to get position to have a, a, a bargaining chip. Cause I don't think the Pelicans were ever in the price range um, or the time commitments, um, playing time commitments that those players would have wanted. But I do think that there is a desire for them to still gain some veteran experience um, in their backcourt. Um, you know, that's that's been something that um, Alvin and Dell have done repeatedly is to have an, an older hand um, in the backcourt to kind of provide that additional leadership and experience because they do have a relatively young roster at most of these other positions. Um, and then when you're going to potentially be handing the keys over to an Alfred Payton who is going into his, you know, what, fourth year, um, uh, fifth year now, uh, and you look at, at just the fact that they'd like to have a, uh, somebody who they could turn the, the offense to if it starts to slow down or if Drew needs to be off. I'm not surprised that they're going to continue to look at a guy like possibly, and like Ali said, Ty Lawson seems the most logical um, guy in that sense because he can push the tempo. He is experienced. He doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He can make some shots. Um, so there are things to like about his game, um, even though he's a little bit older. But I think in general, the Pelicans are just going to keep poking and seeing every once in a while, you know, seeing if somebody's interested and then if it makes sense. But a lot of these things are long shots. So most of the players that names have been associated with the Pelicans, I think, are more just balloons that are being floated rather than real opportunities. I'm really impressed at how many questions we're getting right now. Uh, by the way, Ollie, we're going to move on. I just want to mention this because I wrote it down. Uh, sure. He's never shot over 40% in his career. This is referring to Alexi Shved or wow. 34% from three. But in EuroLeague last year, he led the league with 22 points, five assists, three rebounds in 34 games. He also put up 24, six, and two in 24 Russian League games last season. So let's go over and transition to the most popular story right now. Ali, and that, of course, is Instagram, and you've been helping to post this on Twitter, uh, where we've got some summer workouts, including the likes of Drew Holiday, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Julius Randle, Okafor, I'm so sorry to uh, Ed Matthews, who called me out on that, uh, <laughs> just caught me red-handed, uh, Solomon Hill, Justin Holiday, Frank Jackson, all hard at work with the Pelican strength and conditioning coach, Mike Wavara, hopefully I pronounced that right. Now, Mike is a certified strength and conditioning coach, as well as the creator of Whoop.com. It's a way of tracking your daily nutrition, fitness, and sleep habits. Ali, before we break down the videos and some of our favorite players working out in Los Angeles, do you want to tease your upcoming interview with the Pelican's primary fitness expert, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been wanting to talk to him for a while now, and I reached out to him last week. Um, and I got to confirm today that we are going to indeed have a nice little talk tomorrow. I'm going to ask him all sorts of things about Drew Holiday, of course, and also Frank Jackson, who's been he's been working with a lot. So I'm very curious to see how Frank's rehab is coming along, how they expect or what do they expect out of him this season? Do they have to, you know, baby him? Uh, will he or will he be unlimited with uh, minutes? So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions. And actually, if you guys are listening to this and before I talk to him, send me some questions if you want me to ask some stuff from Mike. Uh, of course, be tasteful and be smart about it. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because Mike's a good interview. I talked to him three years ago when uh, Drew was in the midst of all those leg injuries, you know, and he was he, he really pumped a lot of sunshine, and he was right. Looking back on it, he said that Drew was going to get past this, and uh, he pointed to a lot of things, and you know what? It all came to fruition. So I'm curious to see what he says this time around. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen now videos. We've got a lot of questions on this. So before I frame this to David, I just want to read off some of these. Uh, first of all, from Crescent City Connect, he says, how beneficial are these workouts Frank Jackson and Peyton are having with Holiday and company? 
Frank is scoring on a lockdown defender, so I think he'll be fine scoring in the NBA. And then from Tejeda, you've got how excited should every fan be at the Pelicans players really appearing to gain some sort of chemistry through these offseason workouts. And then Waka Waka Wakanda. Hey, dude, what's going on, man? He says, my question for you, lovely gentlemen, is what was your initial reaction when you saw Frank working out with some guy who was NBA all defensive first team and Ron Ash shout out to you. He asked for a pod on Sunday because he really wanted to hear about Frank Jackson and summer workouts. This is all the buzz right now, David, everybody's excited to see our guys kind of having a practice away from practice. What is your takeaway? Not just from their individual workouts, but also the coupling of all of them together, the chemistry that they're all developing under Mike G right now. Well, I mean, you always like to see that last year we were saying the same things when they went up to Lexington as a group and, and uh, played together during the summer and worked out together as a group. We thought that that was going to portend really good things for the season. Um, and in some ways it did. Um, but it's always easier in the offseason to have chemistry. Then um, that's not to downplay what they're doing. It is easier when the stakes are lower, when guys are getting to know each other in a relaxed mood um, and atmosphere. You know, there's competition amongst themselves, but at the same time, there is the pressure's not there yet. So yeah, it's great to see them together. You want to see teammates working out together. Same with football. You like to see quarterbacks and wide receivers throwing the ball to each other in the off season. That's all. That's, that's fantastic. It's all great. Um, at the same time, you know, we don't really know. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself in predicting something because your team gets along. Now um, we still haven't put any of these guys under fire. We have to see, what happens when the games count, when the pressure is on, when guys are forced into situations to rely and depend on each other? What is their reaction then? And that's when the story of this team would be told. But for now, yes, we should be encouraged. You should be glad that these guys wanted to give knowledge to each other, especially when you have guys like a Frank Jackson who hasn't played and to see him with his uh, teammates and that they still can, you know, are bringing him into the fold. That's a good thing to see that he at least is a is, even in his absence from playing has made himself a member of the team. It's good to see that with Alfred Payton. It's good to see that um, that as a unit that they see that they have some common goals, especially on the physical side, because these are all players who've dealt with some type of injury over the last few years. So, yeah, I like that. I like the camaraderie. But at the same time, I don't want to put more into it than it's actually worth. Ali, did I just hear you yawn? Oh my God! Yes. I did. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that me? <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I, got for, I slept three hours, so I'm tired. All oh, right. geez, <laughs> David, wrap it up, man. Oh my God. Hey, I just wanted to add something real quick to that, Preston, if you don't mind. David pretty much nailed it, but I've asked players this question. Actually, does the summer serve any purpose outside of honestly just getting stronger and working on your skills? And they say yes, it really does. That's honestly the best time to learn about uh, opponents or I'm sorry, your teammates tendencies, all that type of stuff. So yeah, chemistry building is very important for it to start in the summer. So that way you get a head start kind of before training camp starts. Otherwise then you've got to use training camp in the preseason to learn all these things. And before you know it, the regular season starts. So I think it's a really big deal. And that's probably the biggest takeaway I've got is that you've got all these new guys um, doing stuff together for the first time. And that, I think that's a great thing. Um, like David said, of course you don't want to take too much out of it, especially anything, out the results, you know, seeing Frank Jackson shooting these crazy fadeaways over Drew Holiday. I don't want to see him taking those shots in games, but it's great to see that they're going in. Great to see that he's healthy, jumping off that leg and landing on it with no problems. That's what I'm looking at. But again, it's a camaraderie. That's the biggest thing. 
Uh, David, just to get away from the Pelicans for just a moment, uh, I just want to talk about social media briefly because of Instagram and how popular it's become. Uh, we and I, I don't remember what the study is, but it shows that among youth ages like 27 and under, Instagram is now the newest, most popular social media tool uh, outranking Facebook, of course. We have more access now due to uh, Instagram to our athletes, their training habits than ever before. The first glimpse I remember as a small person was the videos of Michael Jordan doing those lat pull downs on that bar following uh, Bulls games on those old highlight tapes. How has social media changed the way we can view our players away from the court during their summer workouts? Well, now it's, it works in two different ways because the players clearly are using it as propaganda for themselves. You know, God, you see guys like a Jaleel Okafor who, and I'm not using propaganda in a negative way. I'm just saying that, you know, they're making sure that people know, Hey, what you thought I was is not what I am today or what I was, I'm getting better at, you know, so they're using them as, as advertisements for themselves in a way. And then for fans, like you say, you get, you're getting a look um, at the players that are on your team in the off season where normally, you know, like you said, when we were coming up, we didn't know what players did in the off season, unless you saw something on the news. So that access to your player to know, um, what they're working on to see how their body's developing to see what moves that they're adding that that does get you excited and I think also it has shrunk the world between those athletes because a lot a lot of times now we're seeing them at their open runs playing with each other in the summertime too so you know when you see highlights from the Drew League or you see stuff from um, Jamal uh, Crawford uh, um, his his summer league you know when you just see those things I think it does create a deeper connection between teams and players but the players have also gotten really smart at using it to their advantage. So I, I just believe it's, it's an era where the two sides kind of understand what the medium is for now, where before we were all kind of going through this wild, wild west period with, with Instagram, where just people were taking, you know, just snapshots of their lives. But now it's really a tool. And you see like DeMarcus Cousins, though he's moved on, he's still producing and editing these workout videos, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, in preparation for the, the upcoming season. And, and I just, it, it's an incredible thing to watch um, as players become more and more savvy and their teams around them become more and more savvy about how to use social media. That was a great su summary. Anything to add, Ollie? No, that was wonderful. <clears throat> All right, great. Uh, we've got some questions for you, Ollie. Uh, again, this is from Ron Ash, as well as our good friend, Nola Pelicans Reddit. Thanks for your questions, you guys. Uh, they both are asking about the status or what we expect from Frank Jackson. And Nola Pelicans Reddit uh, specifically is a bit concerned. A second round pick, uh, obviously three foot surgeries on that right foot where he first sustained that stress fracture and then had complications with surgery. Uh, let's start with Ollie. What are your expectations for Frank Jackson? Obviously, it's nice to see him healthy. It's nice to see, you know, one-on-one -on -one drills with Drew Holiday. But do you think this will translate to the regular season? I do. And Preston, I noticed that that was kind of an argument or just a discussion going on Twitter this morning. And a lot of people have in general is um, how reliable and how trustworthy are second-round picks that have yet to uh, seize, you know, a place in the NBA. And so, you know, you're rightfully concerned. But you know what? There's a huge, huge, huge difference, guys, between Diallo and Frank Jackson, for instance. Diallo came in the league with zero experience. He was all potential, and that's what the Pelicans draft him for. That's why I feel like Jackson, you know, you watch him play. I know he just had that one year at Duke. Uh, but you could see that this guy was way more advanced than a lot of, I feel like, 
other freshmen in, in the league. And let's even compare him to Austin Rivers. He was world's better than Austin Rivers. And anytime he's been on the court, he's looked really good against good competition. I know we only had 13 minutes of in Las Vegas, but you know what? He looked like he was a step above that level. The biggest thing, of course, freshman, you nailed it. It's his health factor. So he's only going to be able to contribute as much as possible as his leg allows him to. I mean, it just it comes down to that. Now, I don't know whether the Pelicans are going to have any kind of restriction on him. It seems, in the back of my mind, it seems like that might be a smart thing to do. I mean, let's face it, three surgeries on one foot at his age, uh, that's a scary thought. So you don't want to push the guy too much. Um, I'm sure he's wearing all these kind of monitors, you know, that, that all the players are wearing now that tells them, you know, if something's a little bit off, hey, let's reel it back, let's slow down, let's check it out before an injury strikes. So you can probably be sure that that's taking place currently, especially if he's working out with Mike consistently, a, a Pelicans trainer. So that that that's kind of good to know. But again, Preston, it's all going to be about what his foot can handle. Um, of course, he's still going to need to have, you know, real exposure in the league. But again, I, ha- I have a lot more confidence in his abilities uh, just from seeing what he has done as compared to other second round picks. You know, you've got to take a case by case basis, I feel like. Too many people like to concentrate on where a guy's taken in a draft, and that's just that's just not how to do it. You got to look at the, their baseline, what they're capable of, and uh, just look at the positives and weaknesses and weigh them out that way. And I just feel like, for obviously with Frank Jackson, it's all just the injuries uh, as being his biggest and primary weaknesses, one, two, and three, really, because he's got the abilities. We've seen him enough if you've looked at his college footage and anything he's done since although it's been limited, it's looked really good. So I think it's good to be hopeful. It's okay to be hopeful with him. But again, don't, as you've mentioned, as David mentioned, we've all mentioned, don't expect too much because either they're going to, you know, hold him back a little bit, restrict him a little bit, bring him along slowly, or maybe he will have those bumps in the road. Expectations are what we're all about here at the (laughs) Bird Calls podcast, David. And what are your realistic expectations for Frank Jackson? What, what is the ideal scenario for what in reality is his rookie season, according to Ben Simmons? Well, I think that w- what the Pelicans would want to do, if it were me, is not give him too broad of a role. I want to give him an opportunity for success um, because of the fact that he has missed that year. At it, and I, he's going to be searching for his confidence early. So the things that I think that, that the Pelicans should be looking at is besides monitoring his health, is getting him in positions to do things that he can naturally do. So what do we know he can do? We know he's explosive with the ball in his hands. We know he can shoot the jumper. Okay, so I don't want to – I wouldn't want to see him getting a lot of point guard responsibility early. Um, If he's part of it just moving the ball and creating offense that way just as part of just um, the, 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 the dynamics, but as far as being the lead guard and conducting the offense, I don't know if he's capable of doing that yet because we haven't seen it. Um, so I think if they put him in positions to where he's getting the opportunity to score, um, you know, get quick shots, uh, drive and attack the basket where he's given that freedom with the second unit and maybe can give you 10 to 12 minutes um, on a nightly basis, then I think that's where you want to see early on on uh, the season. And as it develops, hopefully there's more trust and that's the, the upside people see in him starts to show and he can get more and more opportunities. But more than that early, I think would be surprising. 
All right. Before we get on to Kevin Berrios has two great articles on the birdrights.com right now, chronicling Anthony Davis, greatest teammates uh, over the course of his short career in New Orleans. Before we get to that, we do have a question from our good friend Joe in Nebraska. And of course, for all of our friends and fans in Nebraska, we love and cherish all of our Pelicans fans in Cornhusker <laughs> country. So thank you guys all so much for your support. Ali, we'll start with you. What is the minimum that you guys think the Pelicans need to do in the 18-19 season to ensure Anthony Davis signs his extension next summer? That's a great question. And to me, I feel like it's going to be mostly driven by how the Pelicans start. You know, all Anthony Davis has heard year after year after year is the uh, his name being mentioned in trade rumors. Um, all that type of negative type of stuff in the first three, four months of the season. Only twice has he made the playoffs in his six years. So I honestly think for him, if the Pelicans were to have some kind of similar result, they make the playoffs, make a little bit of noise, that would be fine. But you would still be worried if he went through at least, like, say, half the season with a team, maybe hovering around 500. And, of course, hearing those rumors crop up. I think for him to really enjoy a season is just not to have to deal with that kind of stuff, you know, because his contract is still kind of ways away. Uh, to where he's got to renegotiate with the Pelicans, or I should say extend, or worry about free agency. So he, he's probably tired of hearing this year after year and always trying to have to explain why his team doesn't fare as well, uh, why they struggle, uh, you name it. So I just think the best thing that for, for him and for the Pelicans would be is if they honestly the team gets off to a good start. And instead, uh, everybody's talking about, hey, what can this team do? What is their ceiling? Because, you know, narratives get set, I feel like, in the first month or two. And that's why I think the Pelicans have always not been given the benefit of the doubt, uh, simply because they haven't, you know, grabbed, seized the limelight. Like, for instance, Preston, I should ask you this. Remember how Orlando started last season? Uh, and if I remember right, weren't they even leading the Eastern Conference? Or they were right there in the top two or three after, like, say, the first month, right? They were like 16 and 8 or something like that. And they seem to actually ride that way for another month or two, despite the fact that their play leveled off. People still weren't calling them like one of the worst teams in the league, right? That didn't happen until like the last few months of the season. So just to prove my point, I feel like that's what the Pelicans need to do. That's what, honestly, for Anthony Davis to kind of feel better about signing the extension, he needs to kind of just, you know, have that talk die down, make him feel like he's on a good team, on a kind of a, where, you know, there's a potential path to a championship. That's basically all he wants in life. That's what he seems to always indicate anytime he's ever asked those type of questions. So I, I just think that's the biggest key. Regardless of what the Pelicans do in the postseason, it's what leads up to it. Because you know what? That's five months of basketball. That's five months of talking to media. So fingers crossed they get off to a good start. David, before we go over to you, Ali, I want to force a prediction out of you. What kind of regular and postseason finish do the Pelicans need in order to ensure his return? I think that they have to obviously make the playoffs and I think they should, I don't want to say hundred percent advance to the second round, but it's somewhere close to that. Obviously getting swept or just winning one game would, would be a definitely a step back. Uh, but if they have a similar result to last year, I think that's a positive in AD's eyes, especially if he starts seeing some of these younger guys develop, as long as he doesn't feel like it's just he and drew out there and basically everybody else kind of along the ride and, Let's keep our fingers crossed. Maybe, hey, it'll be his game this week, that type of deal. So, yeah, I don't want to put a number on Preston because I don't think it's so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I'm being kind of vague here. But let's just say a similar result. That'll get it done. David, I want to add on to that question for you. Do you think there's any chance that regardless of how the Pelicans finish before Anthony signs that um, 
that new deal that he waits to see what the Pelicans are able to accomplish with Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle, who will become free agents as well. Yeah, I think those are very big factors. And mm-hmm. that, that all goes into what Ali was talking about, about the start. If they're, you know, if, if by the time Christmas comes around and they're a middling Western Conference team, you know, then you have those questions start arising, not just about AD, but they will arise about Meritich. They will arise about Randall and what they're going to do. So I think, you know, they could be a better, it's, it's logical to believe, in my opinion, that this team could be better than it was last year, but not have a better record. It could be a better team, but not have a better record because of, the West, because of just the way the Western Conference is. So to me, it's, a, again, I think a season without drama is a big part of this. Last year, you know, you, the, the Cousins and, and AD dynamic and the fact that rumors leaked out all early in January that uh, Alvin wanted to trade uh, Boogie and then the injury and all those things, a drama-free season would go a long way. Just to play out a normal NBA season where this team is in contention for the playoffs throughout, um, that they, they play consistent basketball. Those are the things that I think AD wants um, an identity that the team is, is that it's consistent, that they're not a greatly different team in style than they were from last year to this year, that the guys adjust. If he can look around and see a core of 20 somethings and, and Drew being on the far end of 20, obviously, but if you can see that core developing around him, then I think, yeah, it, the potential he can see that long term. Uh, because again, it's not about this year. They can't win a championship this year, and I'm not certain they would win one next year. But if he believes that, that something is being built, that they're just another piece and he feels like Nico's going to stay, Julius is going to stay, then I think the likelihood of him staying is, is that much higher. I agree with Ali that postseason success, getting to the conference finals, again, you know, people say we got to go further than they were last year. I don't know if you can get to a conference final with this group, but if you're showing that development, if you're showing competitiveness, if you show that you're, on, that you're moving forward, that they don't take that step backward – and miss the playoffs or get swept in the first round, then I think, you know, those odds of keeping AD stay high. Now, many of you listening will remember that Drew Holiday negotiated, or Jason Glushan, his agent, negotiated a player option in his fifth and final year. According to SpotRack, Anthony Davis is fully guaranteed for both the 1920 season and the 2021 season with no team or player option. Uh, Stunning bit of negotiating on Dell Demp's part, really, to have him locked down. So, barring a trade, Anthony Davis is at minimum a Pelican until the conclusion of the 21 season, where he will be 27 years of age. Uh, just want to double check, fact check that with you guys. That's right. No player option. I know his last season's a player option, so what they have might be incorrect then, because I'm positive he got yeah. a player option. Yeah, because from my understanding, he can opt out at the end of next season. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I thought. It's not documented here, though Drew's is. Let's go ahead and get to the main event. Of course, we're talking about Kevin's article, Anthony Davis teammate power rankings. He's got Drew Holiday number one, Anthony uh, or Demarcus Cousins number two, Julius Randle number three, and then number four he has Tyreek Evans followed by Nikola Meritich at number five. He's going to be debuting the rest of his list soon, probably in the next couple of days. Uh, let's go ahead and start with David. First of all, the top three: Drew Holiday, Demarcus Cousins, Julius Randle. Do you have any problem, or uh, would you like to debate those top three? I will agree with Drew. Um, it's, it's tough. The tough thing about Kevin's thing, and, and, I, and I, you know, I read it and I understand everything he said. It's just the tough thing. I guess it's more from a franchise perspective than from Kevin's uh, analysis. Is just that three out of his five guys have not even played a full year. <laughs> have never not played a full year <laughs> mm-hmm. with AD. 
and and that tells you a lot about where this franchise has been and where it is. Um, I think Drew absolutely is the right call for the first spot um, because he's been the most consistent player um, opposite AD and has shown the highest ceiling um, thus far. Um, you know, we, we still haven't seen what, what Randall's peak can be. We still haven't seen, uh, you know, I think we've, we feel like DeMarcus peaked out last year, uh, you know, because of the injury. It's going to be very difficult to him to get back at that level ever again, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think I don't have any argument with Drew. It's just that it's tough for me to say that for Randall to and Nico to both be in that top five, considering neither one of them has played 50 games um, in, a, in a Pelicans uniform yet. All right, Ali, let's swing this over to you. Obviously, uh, Drew Holiday uh, just coming off his best season to date, I think you can argue, along with that 2012-13 season with Philadelphia. But DeMarcus Cousins, even though he only played 48 games, you can argue that he was the league's most valuable player during that time, posting uh, staggering numbers of 25, 13, five assists to go along, of course, with the five turnovers. Uh, but how how do you rank those two players? Of course, over the course of their careers, Drew Holiday has just meant more to Anthony Davis because he's his tenure has been longer in New Orleans. But in terms of individual season performances, do you rank DeMarcus ahead of Drew Holiday? Yes. I'm surprised nobody's really talked about this and why Kevin's articles haven't, you know, raised a lot of discussion in the comments section because I feel like there's a lot of things that can be said for both sides. And so I feel like, yeah, DeMarcus Cousins has how many All-Stars under his belt? He's, he's got at least a couple of all NBA teams. I know he's made, I think, second teams, right? So he's definitely the more accomplished. He has a more accomplished resume than Drew Holiday. Regardless of how long Drew's play, regardless of how he kind of fills in um, kind of the yin to Anthony Davis's yang on the team by being a, a two-way guard on the team, regardless of all that, if you just look at a person's skills and what they've done since entering the league, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is definitely carrying around the bigger, more accomplished list. So I could definitely see the argument, but I, I like the way Kevin went there overall. And I have to agree. I think I would make Drew number one. And it's really only because of how he finished last season. Let's face it. That's the best we've ever seen him play where he's able to dominate, or at least uh, basically put his foot down on either side of the court. Uh, there's very few players that can do that. And of course the hope is he can improve on that. But again, Davis already nailed it. Anthony Davis hasn't played with too many good illustrious players, unfortunately in his career here in new Orleans. And I think that really does explain exactly why Kevin's taking a chance on putting Randall three, uh, putting Miritich at five, because you just kind of look at what these guys have either accomplished or the way they're trending. Uh, you just kind of can for forecast basically that they're going to end up being a lot more impactful than say a Ryan Anderson or an Eric Gordon. So overall I do, I think I do like the rankings. All right, let's continue. You just mentioned Julius Randall at number three, and this is one that I want to contend, David. Uh, Julius obviously hasn't played a minute with Anthony Davis, but his numbers last year were, uh, I, I think, only 10 other players Kevin wrote in his article had ever right. averaged 21 and 10 through their uh, third or fourth season. I can't remember specifically. But we haven't seen a minute of Julius Randall in a Pelicans uniform yet. Do you think the hype has gone overboard yet? I mean... <laughs> fans are going to do that. That's what fans do. I don't think we, uh, as a media, as the media, have gotten overly hyped about Julius. I think there are expectations. Um, you look at his career and you say, yes, he should come in and be effective. Um, but I'm not looking at Julius Randle and saying that's a you know first team All NBA or right now. He's going to have to prove it. He's going to have to do those things. I see the talent and I'm excited for it. Um, and I think that's where most people are coming from. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and proclaim him already as a hall of famer. 
Um, but just to go back to the boogie for one second, you could also make a claim if you wanted to that boogie was one of the worst teammates for Anthony Davis's career as well. Very true. Be- you know, so the things because again, people can talk about the MVP numbers, but the AD, you know, and the, the team success, they were a what a, three games over five hundred with him. You know, from for the majority of the season until they got hot in January. So I mean, you could and, and that whole spiral of what happened personality wise. I mean, you could easily knock Demarcus down for what he did to the franchise in that regard. So his impact could end up being a greater negative than a positive but that but as far as Julius Randle anyway I think that um he has star potential and I think we, we all see that and for the Pelicans to get that to get a guy who is drafted in the top five um alone you know the the only other person on the team they ha- that can say that is uh is is Anthony Davis so to get bring that kind of talent in and to get it for the cost that they got it yeah you should be really excited and think that there's potential there in this system for him um, but I don't think people are over have gone overboard yet. I'm going to contend uh, that last argument. I know you're just looking at both sides of the coin uh, by saying that. But Anthony Davis, uh, efficiency-wise, was more efficient than he's ever been in his NBA career alongside DeMarcus Cousins. Just to take a look at some of the numbers, he shot better from three-point range than he ever has by far, over 38 and 41% uh, October, November, December, as well as from the field, 55%. and 55% in those three months. Never shot better than 51.5% in the rest of the calendar year, January through April. But I do understand the mistakes, the miscues, the the effort, the the jogging back up the court, uh, and possibly some of the the negative attributes that he brought to a locker room, possibly. But in terms of on-court production, I think he's the best teammate that Anthony Davis has ever had, even due to the fact that, like you mentioned, he's never played a full season. Andrew Holiday, of course, just had a breakout campaign last year. But that's just my two cents. Let's move on to number four and number five. We'll start with Ali. He has Tyreek Evans, number four, and Nikola Meritich, number five. What say you? <sighs> I'm a Tyreek Evans fan. I mean, Kevin, Kevin knows this. No, I, I was a pretty staunch supporter of him early on. I feel like Monty Williams did not use him properly, and I wrote some stuff about it. And, of course, Kevin, once he started writing for the site, did the same thing. Uh, When you looked at the numbers, you know, Tyreek, alongside Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, formed one of the best trios uh, that we've seen in, like, the last five years. I mean, honestly, that's how big of a difference-making trio they were out on the court, both defensively and offensively, where they just simply overwhelmed opponents. It was on the Golden State Warrior type of level. You know, when you're comparing Curry, uh, Green, and Thompson. Um, so, you know, you that, that says something about Tyreek Evans' potential, and especially fit, I feel like, with AD. And I know, Preston, we were talking about this just the other day, right, where we were discussing who was even possibly better uh, among Tyreek Evans and Rajon Rondo. And so, again, what you just basically gave that argument about Cousins, uh, or I should say David did about the negatives, you can say the same thing about Tyreek Evans, of course, right? This is a guy that doesn't fit a, a ball f- or, um, excuse me, a pass first type of offense. Uh, one that, you know, seeks to ball movement to, to the uh, nth degree. So, yeah, you can make an argument easily for Tyreek Evans in the same way David just did with DeMarcus Cousins. And then, of course, you, you add to the fact that this guy's had a lot of injury issues the last couple of years. He, uh, his career is kind of actually uh, efficiency wise and numbers wise before last season was trending downwards, even though his three-point shot improved, you know, his counting stats have kind of been slipping. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it's a great, great uh, argument. But as for, you know, as to what I've just said, I'm still a proponent of Tyree because he he's a guy that is capable of more. And we saw that finally come back to uh, form last year when he was with the Memphis Grizzlies, carrying a team that was pretty much devoid of any help, any good start potential with Mike Conley, of course, on the shelf. And then Mark Gasol not being himself when he was in a court for most of the season. So Tyreek Evans shows that he can still carry a team. And when he's healthy, you know, he's a pretty good ball handler. He can get to the rim. And, you know, he showed a three-point shot last season. So I still feel like he's got some game. And so I'm fine with him putting him forth. Because you know what? Without Tyreek Evans, the Pelicans, there's no way in hell do they make the playoffs uh, under Monty Williams in 2014-15. Tyreek carried uh, the Pelicans for about half that season, if you may remember. Drew Holiday went out and missed like the last three months. Uh, AD was still really a fledgling player in this league who was obviously not capable of leading a team. So it really all came squarely on Tyreek's shoulders. And, you know, he, as Kevin pointed out in his article, he even won a few games by himself. Where I, I remember clear as day that Los Angeles Clippers game. I'm sure one of you guys at least does too, where he locked up Chris Paul and basically scored like 40 points, almost had like a triple-double. And led the Pelicans squad of like a, you know, a lesser Darius Miller and whoever else was on the court with him to a victory over the Clippers, who were easily a top three team in the West at the time. So Tyreek Evans, yeah, I agree with the fourth rank. And I'll let David, since I've talked so much about Tyreek, talk about Nicola at five. Yeah, I think just, just to wrap on Tyreek, I think the, the thing that people remember most about Tyreek, unfortunately, is unfulfilled potential due to the injuries and just because the explosiveness that you saw in his early years in Sacramento was not there enough. And then, like you said, Monty, um, it was a bad off. Both offenses were the, were the wrong offense for Tyreek. You know, mm-hmm. Monty didn't use him properly. And, and then just transitioning to, to Alvin was just, like I said, pass first offense was not, is not his forte. He's a guy who has to have the ball in his hands to be really effective. But Nico, I think the, the thing that you, that you see, part of that, that sticks out, is the reason guys like Nico and Randall and Drew um, are able to, to, to get such high esteem is because they haven't um, taken anything off the table yet. Like, we feel bad about anything Nico has done, even though he struggled for a part of the season. You know, what we'll remember from last year is the beardless Nico and how well he played down the stretch. So I think that's what you're seeing is that the, the, our, the focus with so many of AD's teammates has been, man, you know, Eric Gordon was this cancer in this regard. Ryan Anderson was a cancer in this regard. And, I mean, it's just you go down the list and this guy's disappointing because of it. And this guy, so to find guys like of Miritich who to this point have not disappointed you, who have accepted his, who accepted his role really easily and seems to be both a good teammate, as good a teammate as he is a player. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you look at the rest of the guys that AD has played with, you say it's hard not to keep uh, Nico in that position um, just because there's been no negatives yet. Um, he may not be the most talented guy I, and I'm just thinking through it, but he might also be, one of the five most talented, but for sure he has not done anything to make you think that he does not complement what AD is doing and what the Pelicans as a franchise are doing. So I don't have a problem with that um, based on the other guys to, to choose from. All right, just to break down some of their numbers, Drew Holiday last season, 19-6-5 on 49-34% and 34% shooting, 2.6 turnovers. Tyreek Evans in that uh, season we were just mentioning, 2014-15, 17, 7, and 5, 45, and 30% shooting, 
3.1 turnovers. And Ali was absolutely right. I remember that season well, because the Pelicans simply continued winning, even without Anthony Davis in the lineup, due uh, in large part to the uh, to the play of Tyreek Evans and even Quincy Pondexter. Uh, Quincy Pondexter was kind of the defensive anchor and leader, and Tyreek Evans was the focal point. So I think that's that's a pretty good list. Now we're going to go ahead and preview what we think six through 10 is going to be. And I'm going to go ahead and put Rajon Rondo at number six. And I know it was just one season. And I know that Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday did a lot of the heavy lifting, but I'm going to focus on this stat. And I know that a lot of people can refute this by saying this was more a result of Chris Finch than uh, Rajon Rondo himself, who was the, the pilot of the ship. But Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday took more shots within five feet than they had at any other point in their career by over a hundred. And I think a lot of those opportunities came due to the vision and leadership of Rajon Rondo. And simply due to the fact that after him, you have some combination of Ryan Anderson, Quincy Pondexter, Eric Gordon, and Etwan Moore, in my opinion. Does that sound like a good number six to you, Ali? I wouldn't put him that high simply because it was one year because he didn't play starter like minutes. And for a few months there, he was almost unplayable. So, yeah, as we've just been talking about, I mean, is it right to rank Randall and some other guys as high without really uh, – I mean, everybody's got baggage, right? I mean, there's no clear-cut winners here. But with Rondo, he's been in <laughs> for such a long time. And I just don't feel comfortable putting him at six when I feel like there's been better players, honestly, like, say, Eric Gordon. I wouldn't put him ahead of Eric Gordon, for instance. I'm trying to think of who else. I would definitely put him ahead of Ryan Anderson. Um, yeah. Etwan Moore, that's that's a close one. I don't know. I think Etwan Moore is obviously going to mean more to the Pelicans down the stretch. But for right now, if you had to put this rankings list out today, I think I would probably have Rondo slightly ahead of Moore. Uh, what about you, David? Yeah, I think I think Rondo's in that mix between six to eight. Um, uh, like you said, he did mean, again, I would give more weight to what he also meant to AD and Drew's personalities. Um, I think that he was a spark for those guys to become more aggressive and to become more, um, quite frankly, ruthless. And uh, so the things that he did do poorly, like his defense, um, I think were over, you know, are overcome by the fact that he really did kind of change the personality um, of the team in a lot of ways. And so that one year to me, even though he's gone, I think it will carry on. His influence will carry on through this year and hopefully longer in that regard. And his also, also his preparation. I think that too is a big factor for Rondo is that he brought a culture of, we watch film, we understand what the other team is doing, um, you know, and we call each other at two in the morning and talk about what we didn't do right and what we can do better. Um, so I think that those were big um, as far as his impact as a teammate. So I definitely don't have a problem with him being in that group from six to eight. Uh, each one is, is tricky. Because mm-hmm. he's steady, not spectacular, but he has moments where he can be spectacular um, and have really big games. Um, so I think he belongs in the top 10, but it'd probably be, he'd probably be 10 for me just because his overall talent level doesn't reach the other guys that we're talking about. All right, let's fill, yeah, I was going to say, Preston, go ahead, jump in next, but let's fill in the rest of these numbers. I mean, I already mentioned Ryan Anderson. Where would you put, say, Aminu, uh, maybe Buddy Heald, Robin Lopez? Quincy Pondexter. Uh, what do you think, Preston? Who else would fill out this top 10? 
Uh, I had Rondo at six. Aaron Gordon, just to go through some of the numbers, uh, just from that 14-15 campaign, 13-4-3, don't sound that impressive on paper. But the fact that he shot over five three-pointers per game and averaged 45% from three-point range that season uh, just was lights out and the team's most reliable shooter spreading the floor. Quincy Pondexter, although, again, it was one season. And it's it's kind of funny, like David mentioned earlier, to go through just the injury woes that Anthony Davis has had to deal with in his short career. He's really Really never had these guys at full strength for longer than a season and in Quin- Quincy Pondexter who was acquired via trade it wasn't even a full season but I thought just in his short time he shot 40 percent from the floor uh his defensive presence the team didn't really have a leader at any position uh and he kind of I, I remember watching some of the games live I was I was living in New York at the time and just when they went to a huddle before Quincy Pondexter everybody kind of just looked you know, their own wage kind of focused in their own direction. There was no rallying. There was no uh, sense of urgency. And then I came back a couple of months later and watched them play both the Nets and the Knicks. And it was a completely different energy. And one of those games was even without Anthony Davis. So I definitely think uh, Quincy Pondexter has to be in there. Etwan Moore, as you mentioned, and Ryan Anderson. And that takes us to 10. But we did uh, leave out a couple of names like a Robin Lopez, who kind of was a a perfect compliment to Anthony Davis and his game at that point in mm-hmm. his career, just doing all the, the low body battling kind of the stuff that we hoped we were going to get out of Omar Ashik. But of course we had to give him away uh, along with Bellinelli and that Tyreek Evans deal uh, that was, that was made so that the Pelicans could, could afford him under the cap. David, what's your take on this? I, I think we're in agreement over the names of the players, but how do you have them ranked? Yeah, I, I would probably, and I hate doing that because, because of, how things ended with him, but you know, Ryan Anderson, when he was on and there were a lot of games where he could, he could be a guy who just his defense was just so bad. I mean, that's the one thing. His defense was just so awful, but offensively he was a guy on, there were nights when he would get 25 and 10, 25, 30 and, and, and eight. And he could do that. And his ability to score in bunches and also to occasionally show up post scoring ability. Um, I would probably have him, I'll put Gordon at six and I'll put Rhino at seven and Rondo at eight. And that's where I would be. And then I'd probably Pondexter at nine, just because again, like his influence was bigger than his play. But like you said, those, it would, you could tell how his value just because even in the two years that it took just for them to decide what to do with him because of injury, how important they kept talking about how, how they kept talking about how important he was to that team. So I think he deserves a spot because of his influence on the team. And then 10, I guess, uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's where it, I'm I mean, at. It, too. It, you know, you're picking nits now. It's just like who do, who do you like better? You know, it could <laughs> be anybody from. I mean, really, from a long group, it could be like I said, maybe probably Etwan as who I'd say is at ten, um, just because he's become a, a reliable role player. Um, so yeah, that's who I probably put at ten. I also misremembered uh, the deal that that sent Robin Lopez out of town. It wasn't attached to Marco Bellinelli. It was attached nice. to Gravis Vasquez, uh, mm-hmm. who played 78 games that season, 14 points, nine assists, four rebounds. And I remember us uh, talking about I how love me some Gravis. I know he really would have complimented. Uh, and, yeah, kind of does a lot of what Rajon Rondo does, quarterbacking the offense and that sort of thing. Uh, Ali, do, do we have it all wrapped up? Is there anything else you want to add? Well, I just wanted to say that Eric Gordon, you had put Ray John Rondo ahead of Eric Gordon, and then you kind of wrote off Eric Gordon's um, 24, was it, twenty? yeah, 2014-15 season by those kind of mediocre numbers. But you know what? 
everybody remembers Anthony Davis and how well he performed in the playoffs against the Warriors. Our, easily our second best player in that series was Eric Gordon, who averaged over 18 points a game. And he had really good, solid shooting percentages. Uh, so he kind of rose the occasion then, but unfortunately none of the other Pelicans did. So that's just an example of what I think Eric Gordon gave in glimpses when he was healthy. And uh, since we already gave kind of Tyreek Evans a pass for his health, I think it's only rightfully so we do it with Gordon. So Gordon would be my number six. Rondo would be my number seven. Um, and then after that, it kind of really drops off for me off a cliff. I guess I would put more probably at eight. Uh, simply because of, you know, he's been very consistent and he is slowly, ever so slowly. I feel like his trajectory is still going upwards. You know, he uh, I guess what was his best month, maybe December last year. But, you know, he he then came on strong kind of towards the end of the season and had a really decent playoffs uh, where he was really consistent for the most part, especially against the Golden State Warriors. So I feel like he, he should be get, getting that maybe the number eight spot. But then, you know, you can argue for Lopez, as we've done. One name I think you got to kind of consider maybe is Buddy Heald, right? Because if at least, if, if anything, you kind of give him some leeway for all the fanfare surrounding him. And you know what? He has proven to be one of the best three-point shooters pretty much after his first few weeks. Uh, once he's got his feet wet, I remember him taking off uh, in that December, a couple months before he was traded away to the Kings. And ever since that time, he's been well over 40% from three-point range. And he's, he's showing a little bit more as to where you think this guy's going to be probably on a better career arc than saying each one more. So I would probably have Buddy Heald maybe like nine or 10. And of course you throw in Quincy Pondexter around there too. And there you go. And honestly, I would put all these guys ahead of Ryan Anderson. I'm sorry, but I feel like Ryan Anderson. Yeah. He, he would have those uh, games where he would just explode and carry the Pels of the wind. For me, I remember those annual games against Cleveland where he sees LeBron for some reason, one of those games, he's always going off for 30 points, making about seven or eight threes. And he did that for like two or three years straight. But, you know, when Ryan Anderson was bad or he was ineffective, I feel like that killed the Pelicans and their offense. When this guy's taking one-legged fadeaways from the mid-range, and as you guys already alluded to, his defense just was not good. Um, he took away more than what people kind of really talked about simply because of that shooting, because of his ability to knock down a three and get hot for a few weeks. That kind of seemed to, you know, basically cover up for all the negatives. So, honestly, Ryan Anderson would probably be outside of my top ten. Uh, Buddy Heald in December shot 48% from three-point range in that 16-17 season on four-and-a-half shots. 42% in January before the ultimate deal. I think it was February 20th, if memory serves me. And, David, maybe you can help me with this. In the 2014-15 season, I remember Drew Holiday was limited, uh, and it says here he only played three games, 18 minutes per game. Do you remember what injury was nagging him at the time? I want to say that was related to the uh... – was that really, was that the knee at that time again? Well, that was his tibia, right? That uh, stress fracture. That was the tibia when he broke the, the stress fracture. That's right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. The stress fracture. That, that was right. poorly diagnosed by Philadelphia. I wanted to point that out. He didn't necessarily uh, struggle during the season due to matchups or the style of play. It was more to uh, struggling to come back to health at that point in time. Although Tyreek Evans did play 31 minutes per game in that series. All right, and guys. I the, I, uh, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say on that on the Drew piece too is that people who and I was one of those people who criticized Drew a lot about his play, but I think part of what hampered him, like we talked about with the offense for Tyreek, and then look at the same time that influence of those of there not being that alpha leader among Tyreek, Drew, and Anthony at that time. I think 
that hindered all three of them as well. And now that you see where the positions are, where Anthony and Drew have kind of grown into the men that they're going to be as basketball players in a lot of ways, I think that's been key to in how their teammates have reacted to them. Yeah, his first two seasons with the Pelicans, Drew Holiday only played a combined 74 games. Uh, but that's that's about all we have. Ali, uh, did you have anything to add to that? No, not really. All right, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, I have to go to work. <laughs> Remember to check back to thebirdrice.com for new articles. We've got some stuff up on Drew Holiday. Of course, we've got uh, Anthony Davis' teammate power rankings by Kevin Berrios. Two articles up, a third one coming. Ollie's got Hill, as well as tomorrow, Ollie's got his interview with Mike G. Ollie, did I miss anything? Anything else to plug? No, it's just I'm going to finally be wrapping up a couple other pieces. I started like oh, oh, two weeks ago where one's looking at the Pelicans' offense. So basically, what does Alfred Payton or anybody that's running the point have to do to fill in Rondo's shoes? And, of course, I want to take a real deep dive into Alfred Payton, but I still haven't gotten a chance to watch some game footage. But I'm 500 words into both of those articles, so they'll, they'll be publishing soon. All right. You can follow him at Ali Cosell and, of course, follow our site at The Bird Rights. And, of course, we've got David Grubb. You can follow him at DM Grubb and at Grubb. Working on, sir. David. Yeah. Um. Right now, I I haven't narrowed stuff down. I've been kind of distracted working on some high school football stuff for Crescent City Sports and getting ready for the LSU football season. So I got to get back into my Pelicans mode a little bit harder. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there should be stuff in. You know, I'm I'm always thinking and working, but hopefully stuff will be coming in the very near future. So, but I'm always an interesting follow. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Way to sell yourself, sir. Uh, Thank you guys for your time. Uh, Of course, Kevin Berrios is at home working. He does not have the day off, so we'll have him on the next podcast. We'll probably be back for you guys uh, next week. Of course, keep checking our sites. We'll keep you guys up to date with all the developments. And, of course, as always, thanks for listening. If you guys like what you're hearing, do us a favor. Retweet, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, anything you can do to help. We really appreciate it. For now, I'm Preston Ellis. Let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 555 Podcast Networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.